Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. Today, we're going to talk about how to prepare physically and mentally. So for those of you wondering about some of the other ways you need to get ready for this job, besides just buying a bunch of gear and raincoats, this one's for you. All right, gang. So the last few episodes, we've talked a lot about gear, talked a lot about the fact that you're basically stuck with what you're carrying on your back. We haven't talked a whole lot about the one piece of gear that we always carry with us, and that's quite frankly, ourselves. Fundamentally, we have to come with a fit body and a calm mind to be able to do this thing in the wilderness. If you're running an urban truck, if you're in a traditional EMS environment, yes, there's absolutely, especially if you're part of a combined fire and rescue system, there's absolutely an aspect of physical fitness on the job, right? Mental fitness. There's, there's a lot of push in EMS today about having the right mentality, having support there for tough times. But this can be quite a bit different when we get into the woods. The reality is that Wilderness EMS and the Wilderness EMS community must have a pretty high degree of physical and mental fitness. You have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to think on your feet for long hours at a time. And quite frankly, you have to be able to get there and do work after exerting yourself for quite a bit of time. This is a little different than a, a structure fire or a traditional fire environment where you go in for 10 or 12, 15, 20 minutes, you put some wet stuff on the hot stuff, your tank runs out, you head on out, you rehab, go back in. This is quite literally an environment where you may have to hike for two or three hours before you get to the patient. And that all kind of necessitates a higher level of physical and mental preparedness. So that's what we're going to talk about. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about each of these areas and what, and I'm going to use air quotes, fitness means as it applies to wilderness EMS. So there's a few things for the individual provider to think about and maybe incorporate in their daily preparedness routine. Uh, when I say daily, I'm not saying you have to get out to the gym, hit the good old planet fitness every day of your life. But there's little things you can do each day that you go about your business in preparation for the next mission, right? So we're going to start off physical fitness. This is what most of us think about, right? Loosely defined as the ability to do work in a given environment, right? So you need to be able to do work. And I'm not just talking about start an IV or do med math, right? Like Mike alluded to, you're going to have to do those things after you've already hiked two, three, four or five miles, right? Maybe longer, depending on where you're working at. So you got to be able to physically perform when the time comes. Uh, component one we're going to talk about is just general strength. You need to be moderately strong. There's not a lot of lifting heavy things and moving heavy things across varied and uneven terrain, right? So do you need to get up to a two-by bodyweight deadlift? No, you don't. Should you aim for such a goal? Uh, Sean's opinion is, of course, yes. But that doesn't mean you have to be able to do that. Do you have to be able to physically pick up your patient single-handedly and carry them all by yourself five more miles back down trail? No. But you need to be strong, right? Your pack is not lightweight. A lot of the extra gear that you're going to be carrying, uh, technical rescue equipment, ropes, harnesses, litters, etc., all those things weigh something. And when you combine them all, you've got to be able to pick it up. You've got to be able to move it. Lastly, when you're picking up your patient in a Stokes litter, you've got to have a requisite bit of strength, especially good down grip strength to help that carry out, right? So all providers 
need to maintain a base level of what we call general physical preparedness, meaning general physical fitness that applies to all facets of your job and your daily life. And then we can talk about things like specialized physical preparedness, right? And this is based on your particular environment and the operations are due to requirements. So as an example, you might think of just uh, GPP as some basic general strength workout, you know, little full body circuits, whatever you want to do, upper body, lower body, etc. The, again, air quotes, core, which is another term that most fitness people don't like, but you have to have a base level of fitness in there and strength. Specialized would be able to carry like in Mike and I's environment, right? A 45 to 65 pound backpack over very terrain for three to five miles. Uh, you can try and put a, a time limit on that. And a lot of people are like, oh, that gets more into some cardiovascular conditioning. It does, but you still have to have a modicum of strength in both your lower body. You got to get those legs. You got to be able to move uphill unless you're one of those fortunate people that works in a very flat bit of terrain with very, very little elevation gain doesn't apply to Mike and I. So yeah, you got to have some leg strength in there as well. And this, depending also on where you work, could include uh, training for the carrying of a Stokes basket. Uh, The classic farmer's carry, pick up a weighted object like a kettlebell, dumbbell, another weighted object of something that you can just grab in your hand and just carry it for distance and repeat, right? So again, upper body strength, lower body, you got to work both of them. Uh, Strength endurance, this is a big one, right? So this isn't the world of a powerlifting meet where you've got to go out there and make a couple of good attempts at a maximum effort. You have to be able to sustain that physical effort potentially for hours, right? So you need to have strength endurance, you know, and this is a big one for your legs, right? You got to be able to keep those legs moving up the hill with your pack, your core, stabilizing your pack as you go so you don't wobble, you don't fall over. A little upper body strength to help stabilize yourself or if carrying gear. Okay. So you got to have strength endurance. And as I mentioned before, what we don't need a lot of is, is limit strength or absolute strength, right? So being able to deadlift 600 pounds while indicates a certain level of strength and fitness is not necessarily applicable to wilderness EMS, especially if you're more of a specialist in your off time when you're not doing wilderness EMS, you're training very, very hard for a couple of specific lifts because you also enjoy training or competing in that arena, you don't have to go too far onto that absolute strength side of things. What you need is a moderate amount of strength across the board. So that takes us into cardiovascular endurance. All right, you got to be able to maintain that moderate pace uh, potentially for a long amount of time, right? Again, it could take you 15, 20 minutes to get to the patient. It could take you two, three, four hours to get to your patient. Whatever that is, you need to be able to maintain that pace until you get to your patient, calm your heart rate, get to work, and then repeat that effort on the way back out with your patient. Unless, of course, you're lucky enough to have some sort of vehicle arrive later or an air evacuation, etc. But for our purposes, we're going to consider those non-players. So it's all going to be you getting in and out. So with cardiovascular stuff, there's very little sprinting, right? There might be those moments where you got to move somewhere fairly quickly. These are, I would say, for those of us in wilderness EMS, these would be our, our danger environments like bear attack. I'm throwing something out there, right? Where I have to move you quickly. Hand off a cliff, maybe? What's that? Somebody Peter panned off a cliff, yeah. maybe? Uh, see, and that I still wouldn't go into as a sprint because that's a short duration effort. So 
last time that happened, you and I still had to move a couple of miles to get to that point, right? So it gets more into state, state, but it's more of a, we've got to get across this, like right now we have to move this big, heavy thing, like car fire. You got to get somebody out. You got to get in the car, grab the patient and move them a hundred, 200 yards fairly quickly. You're not, again, when I say sprint, we're not necessarily talking about an actual physical run or sprint, but that quick burst of energy. Okay. It happens, but it, it's, in my opinion, not where you need to spend most of your time. And that's going to be in what we call our, our steady state cardio kind of state, right? Jogging, I believe they call it with a soft J. It's like running, but slower. I, I don't run. Running is a coward skill. Learn to fight. But I do some cardio work, right? I have my concept to rower. So I row, I ruck, I move my body, and I get the heart rate up. Because yeah, that's more applicable to what I have to do in my physical needs. Okay, So you need to have a decent amount of steady state cardio that you can keep up an exertional activity for a prolonged period of time without totally gassing yourself out. If you get to the patient, it takes you 30, 45, 60 minutes to recover before you can do work. You're really of very little value. Okay. So think about that one, right? Bottom line, you got to get to your patient. You got to be able to move yourself, all your kit and any extra stuff, potentially several miles and not die in the process. Now, if you were to meet Mike and I, or you see some of our pictures, we don't look like the model specimens of human fitness and evolution, right? So we are not six foot six, 2% body weight, 210 pound yoked machines. However, despite what I like to call the combat chassis, right? A little extra fat for burning when it gets cold, we can get the job done, right? We are certainly strong enough to carry our kit plus more, help carry our patient and we can get to our patient in a reasonable amount of time and within a short recovery period, be ready to do work. Okay. So this is, again, Sean's opinion, take it for what it's worth. But once you get on scene, you get about five minutes to really get to a good point of recovery. Anything more than that, and people are going to start looking at you like, uh, what's up, bro? Are you going to make it? Are you okay? You can't look worse than the patient when you get up to the patient. Right? You got to look like you know what you're doing. You're, you're permitted to take a couple of seconds, drink some water, catch your breath, get yourself calmed, and then be able to go to work. And don't forget, that's not just physical, right? That's mental, right? So you got to get that heart rate down. You have your brain calmed down so that you can do that med math. You can pull the correct drug dosages. You can start that IV without your hands shaking all over the place. Uh, so if you've ever seen somebody try to do that in a physically exhausted state, it's kind of fun to watch. You feel bad for your patient, but you have to chuckle a little bit, right? So five minutes, that, that's your goal. Now, if you get that in 10 minutes, cool, 10 minutes. But the longer you're there with your patient at their side, doing some history taking, doing your assessments, things should be coming down and you'd get down there, right? So depending on what, if, if you're into fitness, right? Some of the websites you get on, there's a really good analogy out there between a, about a bodybuilder competing against a marathoner. And essentially it's if you asked both of these people who are both extremely fit at one extreme or the other, to carry a 50-pound keg up to five flights of stairs or 10 flights of stairs, you pick it 15 times, who's going to win, right? So the marathoner is going to have the tremendous edge in cardiovascular fitness. But can he pick up that 50-pound keg and move it up multiple flights of stairs, put it down, go back down, pick up another one, and head back up? The answer is probably going to be, eh, maybe, depending on your marathoner. But most marathoners who are legit marathoners are, I won't say they're weak, they just aren't strong, right? So they're very fit. They're incredibly strong cardiovascular capacity. But that bodybuilder, the guy who's training for strength, while he might be slower to get it done, 
will be able to get the entire task done and recover. So just something to think about. You can't just be just a runner. You have to be a runner plus a little bit of a strong man. Okay. And so I'm saying you have to have an overall good balance in your fitness program. And then of course, but Sean, I don't have to be strong to be a good medic. And again, true, as long as you don't ever have to carry heavy things. If the heaviest thing you've got to carry is your house bag or a life pack into a scene 500 yards and maybe help with a little bit of patient movement to pick them up, put them on a cot and have your another crew or fire crew help you move them around. Certainly, you don't have to be all that strong, right? And I know a lot of very small, petite <laughs> or small in stature, fire rescue personnel, both genders. I'm not picking one or the other. And they get it done in the urban size, right? Because they don't have to do so much. You can do that. But there's no powered cot. There's no engine crew coming. It's the resources that show up. Now, some places, if you're working the wilderness environment, those people that do show up to help are generally a bit more on the fit side than not. But believe me, Mike and I have both seen this with some of our local resources. That is not always the case, right? There have been litter crews who are heading up trail with an empty litter between about eight to 12 people getting lapped by other responders who start well behind them and finish and get to the patient well ahead of Dude, them. Dude, I'm just going to say it. We took the litter so, from them and carried well, it up the mountain and, and we passed and, them and took and the litter. And the two of us carried it up too. the mountain ourselves, right? Right. We, uh, so um, on that particular rescue, this was years ago, and Mike and I were a bit younger. We were still not young. There was a group carrying the litter and it was Mike, myself, and it was a park service ranger. And he was not a spring chicken. And we got to a point where it's like, okay, give us this. And the three of us took off with that litter and got well past the remainder of the crew was coming behind us. And then that's on one where Mike did a little piggyback action with the patient as well. That's right. I carried her on my back. Wow. Um, that was a lot. As I, I stayed back with the litter to start getting it prepped and ready. And, and Mike and, and uh, Ranger went up trail a little bit farther to the patient, made contact and Right. So then Mike actually did actually physically carry a patient for a little bit on his back. <laughs> did actually carry the patient. Right. And then we load the patient in the basket and reverse course and right back down we went. Right. So decent fitness people. I you just gotta have it, right? So contrary or on the flip side of the urban side where everything's brought to you in an ambulance or a fire engine, wilderness EMS means moving your kit, generally speaking, on your back, uphill, both ways. Right. I swear to God, every trail we have. In our area, it's always uphill. Even when you're done, it still seems to be going uphill. It kills me, right? And then you have to physically lift, manipulate, and do things with your patient. Once you're done with all that, you still have to put your pack back on and carry it out along with your patient. It's not like you get to drop your pack and then carry your patient out. Your pack still has to come back with you. And the most you might have lost in weight there is one or two bottles of your personal water and ounce or so of medical fluid. And we'll say a couple pounds of fluid, right, for your patient. So you, you really didn't lose, but maybe five pounds of your initial starting weight. So something to think about. It's not over just when you get to your patient, right? So that stamina, the muscular endurance, cardiovascular and general strength fitness is incredibly important. Uh, and if anybody's interested in my training program, how I prepare for our season, you can by all means send us a message or email us, and I'd be happy to share that with you. And we're just going to leave those generalities there and let Mike get on to our next subject. Yeah, I will say that, uh, well, I'm happy to share what I do as well. It's probably similar to what Sean does. We come from the same arena of thought, but 
we're explicitly going to avoid talking about a training program we adhere to because the goal is not to say this is what you need to do for EMS in the wilderness. The point of this is to say that physical fitness is a key component into being successful and you don't have to do what we do. And I'm, again, I'm guessing Sean and I do pretty similar things. In fact, I know Sean wrote a program at one point that was a test that we wanted to implement for Wilderness EMS on whole. But it, you don't have to do what we do. The point to take away here is it's the same thing we've been talking about since we started this podcast. You got to carry everything in your back and you got to carry it out on your back. And mechanized vehicles are typically in our arena, not something that is a key luxury in the aspect of exercising medicine in the woods. So you got to come prepared to actually do some hiking and have the cardiovascular fitness to do it. But you also have to come prepared to understand that there's no pulling a trigger. There's no, uh, there's no somebody else's coming, which is often, at least in my experience in my time teaching, is often talked about in the EMS setting in a lot of schools now. It's, well, don't worry, there's always somebody else. You can always phone a friend or call the medical director or whatever the case may be. And in wilderness medicine, it's not so much the case all the time. Cell phones don't always work in the woods. It's kind of rare to be able to just expect to have three or four or five other paramedics show up and make sure that you're doing the right thing. So you got to come mentally prepared to really, truly handle the situation and be ready. And one of the key things around being mentally prepared is coming with a calm mind. When I roll up on a patient, when I hear the tones or I, I get the call on the radio and I look at Sean and I'm like, time to do work, buddy. We run off into the woods. By the time I get there, it's typically at least an hour, if not more, by the time I'm at the patient's side. And I now, now just let's, let's call it two hours. Now I have to begin thinking. Now I have to begin working. Was my meal interrupted? Maybe. Who cares? Do I have the calories? Maybe. Who cares? But I had to put in an hour or two of work before I can get there. And now in the limited environment, it's just me. Maybe I've got Sean with me. Oftentimes we run calls individually where we are the only paramedic there. But now I have to think with a clear head. I have to be able to do med math. I have to be able to think through the problem. I have to understand what's going on. I have the patient tell me what medications they may take for other medical ailments. I have to know what those medications are because I don't have the internet. I don't have Google at my behest because my cell phone has no cell service. So in this environment, you have to quickly understand that it's not only about mental preparedness, but you can be overwhelmed pretty quick, especially when it's an acute patient. We're going to actually do an episode on this at some time in the future, but I recently worked a call with Sean where we finished the job and it included helicopters and cliff faces and all kinds of fanciness. And I said to Sean, I don't feel like I did much. And his response to me was, you got into the place you needed to be and you did what you had to do to keep her alive in the time we waited for the helicopter. But the key takeaway there is not that we did cool guy shit. It's that I had to think through the problem and I had to do it on rope, hanging on a cliff face. After, what was it, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, we were humping pretty good to get up the hill to get to where we needed to go. We had to find our patient. Then after we went through the mental process of rigging and making ourselves safe and getting on rope and getting down to the area where the patient was, then I had to execute my medicine brain and also manage the scene and talk to the helicopter and be on the radio and, and work through the entire problem. All of that required a certain level of mental clarity that is also present in the pre-hospital setting in general. But in the woods, you might spend two hours humping in and then, then you got to go to work. Sean made the comment earlier that you only get a few minutes to calm down. I can not tell you how many times it's been me with a 60-pound pack on, humping up the hill, and then you put the pack down, you get a couple of quick breaths in, all right, 
couple of deep breaths. And now I have to start talking to the patient about their medical history and understanding that they have a compound fracture right in front of me and their bones sticking out. And we need to do some things about this. And I need to get an IV, which is very tactile skill. I need to start thinking through the problem. I need to be calling in more resources, getting a report out on the radio. All of those things that you have to do, all of that requires a level of mental fitness and mental acuity. And quite frankly, all of that comes with being physically fit out of the gate. Because if I can handle the workload that is coming, that I have to exercise before I get there, that allows me a lower recovery time. It allows me to have more calories reserved for the mental processes that I have to execute to get this done. There is no opportunity to say, well, you know what? This seems like a hot mess. I'm going to call in another medic unit. It doesn't, exa- it doesn't happen. Uh, you can't just say, I'm going to cover the ABCs real quick and make sure I'm going to breathe for them. I'm, I'm going to overbag them, put a bunch of air in their gut, but it's cool. I've breathed for them for the time that I was with them. And then I'm going to dump them off in the ER and pull chocks and be like, your problem now, doc. Like you might be there for four or five, six hours, depending on where you are before anybody else is coming to help, right? You got to be able to think through the ABCs and then you have to be able to have the mental acuity to be like, okay, there's N number of resources. I have a big problem. I need more help. It's going to be some time before they get here. There's no like getting on the radio and just saying, no, dispatch, send me an engine company. I need four more big dudes to help me carry stuff. You might be waiting another two hours before anybody else gets there. You have to have the mental acuity to think through the problem. If it's chaotic, right? If it is not uncommon in the wilderness to have multiple bystanders that want to be helpful, you have to learn how to have the, the mental wherewithal to say, Steve, I really appreciate you helping, like, but go ahead and just hold that ankle there. I don't need you doing more at this moment. Like, We're going to get this solved. And this applies to wilderness medicine or not wilderness medicine. This, this applies when I was teaching, right? I used to use the phrase, People are calling 911 because they're having what they consider to be one of the worst emergencies of their lives. They're looking to you to be the expert to solve it. Well, in the wilderness environment, that gets multiplied by 10 because it turns out you might be the only one there and everyone's looking to you to solve their problem. If it's a high acuity call, you might be the one that's there for an hour and a half and you got to maintain that mental awareness, talk on the radio, do the med math, hang the bag, manage the pain, all of those things. You have to be calm. You have to be the calm in the storm. You can't lose your shit. When you end up doing the things that you've planned for, or you do the mental preparation before the call because you've worked the scenarios, you've done the training, you understand your equipment and how it works, that leaves you the mental faculties to solve the problems you weren't planning for. This one's happened to Sean and I multiple times, but what do you do when you end up going, oh, uh, it turns out the rain's coming in and there's no helicopters coming and this guy ain't walking and it's going to be hours before anybody comes with the Stokes or it's dark and now nobody's flying until morning and I got a bivouac with him and it's cold and it's raining and I don't like it. Well, you got to keep your head in the game because you are not only responsible for you, you're responsible for potentially the rest of the crew coming in, you're responsible for your patient. So it's not just about you. And this sounds funny because when we talk about public service on whole, that's kind of the general theme, right? We're, we're doing this for the good of the community. But if you truly end up in an austere environment, and it doesn't have to be the place where, where Sean and I generally play ball, right? The mid-Atlantic, it can be, you could quite frankly be working as the medical guy on an expedition on Mount Hood and somebody takes a fall and hits their head. You're not exactly going to get additional resources in 20 minutes. So to kind of bring it full circle, Are you mentally capable of handling the situation? Have you been preparing, studying your materials? And have you been taking care of yourself? Are you physically fit? Have you been 
exercising regularly so that when it comes time to execute in an emergent situation, your body isn't basically giving up the ghost. I mean, Sean mentioned earlier, you could see pictures of us and say, holy cow, those guys. But I still, I put in work like five or six days a week. I'm putting in multiple miles with weight on my back to make sure that when it comes time to actually do this, I'm capable of doing it. And it's laborious and I don't always like doing it. And sometimes my knees hurt, but it's kind of what's required if you're going to be executing at a high level in a wilderness environment. So you got to remain engaged. You've got to stay in the game mentally, start to finish. And quite frankly, you're going to be tired, uh, but you don't get a choice. Right? I think one time in my entire, I'll call it my entire career of doing this, what has it been? 12 years, Sean? 15 years? Something like that? Yeah, I don't know. Sure. I think one time we actually pulled the trigger and said to someone, like, we're spent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that's because we spent, that was a rough weekend, right? So we did two nights back to back having to bivouac out in the cold with patients two nights in a row. And it's like, we'd run calls. The first one happened, I believe on a Saturday, no Friday, we'd already run a couple of calls that morning and afternoon, Mm -hmm. late evening call comes in injured hiker, very remote section of trail. So it's like, okay, get up there. No way the patient was able to bear weight, probable broken ankle. It's like, ah, minor injury. Yes. But patient can't bear weight. It was getting, to the point of darkness, it's at a trail where there are some very technical portions, no matter which direction we wanted to go, right? The trail is, is either going to go left or right. And to have attempted to carry the patient out in the dark would have put a lot more people at risk, especially the patient, right? Because trying to do some of the technical work and some rock scrambles and areas like that, it just isn't ideal. So a choice was made like, all right, we're going to bivouac overnighted next morning. Fortunate, we were able to fly the patient off the hill. Then we hiked out. Had we went back, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. One of our, our good friends actually brought up a couple of thermoses of some nice black, terrible coffee, but it was amazing. So we, we were able to get that patient out fairly quickly in the morning, but then we had to hike out with extra rope gear and extra the, the bivouac gear that other rangers had brought up the day before, plus our own kit, right? So we had to hike out with, I won't say double the load, but everybody left with another 20 some pounds of kit that wasn't theirs. I feel like we should post that picture. Yeah have it somewhere, got out and we did, we get a brief little nap and then we had another couple of calls. And then about that same time of night, call comes in for a patient. We're like, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Turns out that patient was also himself a physician and was pretty familiar with one of his conditions. And when that got relayed to us, it's like, well, I guess that just went from BLS to us. I guess that's and us. And so he, the patient that night was unable, physically unable to move, right? So, okay, we are definitely bivouacking again because it was a little bit on the other side of where the first patient was but still dangerous to try and move them in the dark. So a choice was made to bivouac again, monitor the patient throughout the night. This is a patient that we had to keep an eye on all night, right? This had a potential to be very, very bad. Turned out it wasn't horrible, ill. They had some issues, but it wasn't, they weren't as sick as they could have been given their condition. But it required us, you know, to administer some fluids and wake up, check on the patient, see how they're doing. Are you getting worse? Are you getting better, et cetera. Hiked out that next morning, same thing. And this one, we got met and got breakfast brought to us mm-hmm. down in the parking mm-hmm. lot, which was, again, greatly appreciated. And then we were, at that point, we were exhausted because we just spent essentially nearly 36 hours between two patients with very little rest, like legitimate sleep between those two evolutions. And that was one of those things coming down the hill. We got on the radio and was like, hey, FYI, you need to call in another crew if available because we're done at this point. Yeah, we're getting right? We knew what our limitations were, right? We'd hit them. like. I mean, 
that was our last day of duty. Could we have hung out for another six or eight hours? Possibly. Uh, but if there had been another high acuity call or another call that required significant physical exertion again, it might have been a different story for us, right? So yeah. yep. it can be extremely exhausting, right? It is. It's just the way it is. And like that, and I know Mike and I have both seen this both in the wellness setting and in our urban things when he's talking about those people that you can't be that provider who's frazzled. And we've both come on scenes and both all of our, our interactions as providers, urban and wilderness. And when you walk in or you show up on scene, you have that provider look up to you and like, oh, thank God you're here. Please fix this for me. I don't know what to do at this point. And you're kind of like, well, I guess I have to have my shit together. I guess I'm it. <laughs> because the other provider is not it. Right. So it's like, well, balls, let's do this. All right. So it is what it is. All right. So how do we get to this state of ultra responder? How do you become the bionic man that I am today? A, careful with your youth, learn how to train better. So you're not going to physical therapy at my age for bum shoulders. It's no fun. Yes. That's Mike laughing at me now. Right. So what you need to do, you need to find a good general physical preparation program, right? GPP fitness. I don't care what it is. CrossFit your local gym and you just found some full body workouts that you do at your local big box gym, Planet Fitness, Gold's Gym, whatever it might be. If that's what you found and it works for you, perfect, right? That's the definition of what, what's the best fitness plan out there. It's the one you were willing to do, right? Consistency is the key on this one, right? You have to do it. You have to train. Add in some specialized training if it's necessary. I call what I do general preparedness, although I know it's not because it's, it's tailored to what I do across my EMS spectrum, right? So I'm no longer in a general preparedness thing. It really is specialized for me. Um, you got to train hard, right? And when I say train hard, I'm not just talking about the fitness piece. I'm talking about all the rest of the training involved in wilderness EMS, patient scenarios, patient access, extrications, carryouts, whatever it might be. You've got to train hard. You got to make your training as realistic as you can because you have to be able to put your body and your mind physically and mentally into the game as much of a stressful, realistic scenario as you can, so that when you hit those things in real life, it's more of a, oh, I've done this before. I have a process map already in my brain. I know where to start and I know where to go from here. And you know physically that I know I can hike up this trail. I know I can get on rope and I know I know how to do my medicine. Right? In, uh, in certain circles, I happen to be a bit of a biohacker dork. Uh, they call that building neural pathways, right? Like you have an experience with a thing previously. So you kind of don't need to freak out because your brain and your body are like, oh, I've, I've already done this. Like I've carried heavy stuff multiple miles every day. No factor. But if this is not a thing you're doing on a regular basis, you haven't built those pathways. Yeah. And I got to be honest, on the civilian side, it, it, this is very hard to do, to find those stressful physical and mental challenges to put yourself into in a training scenario. This is one of those places where prior military guys have a bit of an advantage especially if anybody spent time and we'll just say the general infantry, especially guys who've been in the special operations side, there's not a special operations training program out there that does not have some facet of an extremely stressful point in its training that once you're done with it and you're on the backside of it, you're like, well, that super sucked, but hey, look what I did, right? And then mentally, it's like, oh, you think back to those days and you're like, ah, I got this. This is way easier than that day was. And that was fucking bullshit, right? Training wise, there's a few programs that are out there like go ruck, right? So if you like to carry heavy weight and get treated like you're a military recruit through some selection processes, the go ruck folks, there's a couple of programs that are out there that people find very challenging. Compete in a Spartan race or something to that effect. Challenge yourself physically and mentally. 
you know, you got to find what it is and push yourself so you find out what those limits are. You don't want to find out that I really can't do this when you're halfway through it. It's, it's too late at that point, right? So what we're saying is you need to put yourself safely into some less than comfortable situations just so you understand how you're going to react. And then once you've done it and you know you can do it, it becomes easier from there, right? Teach yourself what it means to be fit and ready physically and mentally. Again, this is not talking necessarily mental health, although that is extremely important, but that ability to think clearly, that calm amidst the chaos piece Mike was talking about, you got to be having both of those. Uh, And I think really that's about it. So big ones, bottom line, you can't help anyone if you're not up to the challenge yourself, right? Your patience in the wilderness and austere environment, whether it's expedition work up at Everest Base Camp, you're working in the clinic there, which is some pretty cool stuff they do. You're working another expedition out in Alaska, the remotes of any other part of the world, right? The people you're dealing with, you know, the clientele will say on a lot of those, if you're supporting expedition work, those folks have already physically and mentally prepared themselves as best they can to what they think they need. Some of these guys are super elite level, depending on how, how embedded you are with that part of this business. You might be working with some incredible athletes. But you, you don't necessarily have to be at their level, but you got to be able to perform, right? So you got to be up to the same, near or near same challenges that people you're supporting are. So if you're working for a local park, a state park, national park, whatever it may be, uh, have to be able to meet the same challenge, essentially, that your patient did, right? If they were able to hike up to the top of that mountain, you need to be able to hike up to the top of that mountain. Otherwise, you can't get to this patient, right? So think about that one. And then you have to do work. And then you have to get them out. <laughs> And then That's you right. have to do it again the next day when the next patient, or later that night when the next patient calls. So if they yeah. can get there, you can get there too. If there's any question about you getting there, then this is probably something that you need to work toward to make sure that you can do at least what your general patient population is going to do and then some. Yeah, exactly, right? So if you're, whether you're embedded as part of local search and rescue resources, uh, law enforcement or volunteer or civilian teams, you yourself are working with particular agencies, right? You need to be what I will say is, is ahead of the game with them. Like if they have fitness standard X, you need to be at a minimum able to meet that minimum and preferably exceed it, right? Like one of my notes here is, is you want to be at the top of the responder pile. You don't want to be the one looking up going, geez, where are they going? How much farther we got, you know, huffing and puffing, bending over the whole time. You need to be up there. You need to be moving and you need to be essentially setting the example. You need to show people that, hey, being a wilderness responder, wilderness EMS provider, is different. It is unique. And if you want to get into this game, then here's what you got to do, right? And so I think my closing thought with some of this is you got to put your big medic pants on and you got to get at it, right? You can't give yourself an excuse like, oh God, I'm getting old. I don't really have to perform at that level anymore. People my age aren't doing this. Well, not that I'm super old, mind you, but I'm, I'm no spring chicken. I think there's only one responder that we work with that is older than me. And he is in many ways far fitter than I am just because yeah. he has a super, super strong motivation and desire to be at same thing, to set that example. And he, he really wants to be the fit guy. He does not want to be the one that's letting anybody else down on the rescues or in the middle of his job. But he's the only other one that's, he's a older than me. And he's only got me by a couple of years, but I've got him by like a hundred pounds. So I got that going on and, uh, <laughs> and motivation. So you got to get at it, folks. You got to pick a program, stick with it, right? You got to give, if you want to start a new fitness program, Really, you need to give it like six months to see if it works or not. And if it doesn't work for you at that point, then adjust. But you can't jump into something and go 30 days and like, ah, eh, that's not working. 
30 days isn't long enough to figure out if you're making strength or cardiovascular gains in the long term, right? You got to give it some time. Again, if you're curious what micro I do, please shoot us an email, make a comment in Facebook. I do look for those. We don't get a lot of those. Well, it's, only be because there's, it's only because there's seven people listening to us, Sean. Like, hey. Might be eight at the end of this episode. We have almost 40 Facebook fans. <clears throat> almost Most 40. of those are our family, but you know. <laughs> Nailed it. Almost. Look, at the end of the day, it's amazing how quickly things become wilderness, right? You can take 10 steps off into the woods or out away from the road and suddenly everything gets harder. Well, if you're on an urban truck and you think, oh yeah, you know, that, that woman that went a quarter mile into the backyard and swallowed a fistful of pills or so, I don't know, I'm making stuff up now, but quickly carrying somebody out of their backyard in a rural environment feels wilderness. Think about doing it four or five miles in. Everything gets harder and you have to come ready. And being the biggest, swollest, with the largest deadlift in the entire department is not the same thing as functional endurance to be able to keep your brain working while also exerting yourself for 12 hours. And that's really what we're chasing here, right? You don't have to be the fittest guy, but you got to be able to have a level of endurance to execute against this. Okay. I feel like we belabored that enough. Sean, any final closing thoughts? Get swole. All right, then, after I just said you don't have to have the strongest deadlift. No, you don't. Look, I don't have the strongest deadlift, but I I'll just say it. Extended periods of time with moderate weight is probably a good start. I'm never going to tell you to not pick up kettlebells because I happen to be a, a strong fan of the kettlebells. But with that, send us a note. If you want to know what we do, we're happy to share. And uh, we're going to call this one in the bag. Later. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.